This is HPR episode 1998 entitled Homebrewing. It is hosted by M1RR0R5H4D35 and is about 24 minutes long. The summary is a bit about making your own beer. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello world, Mirror Shades here again. Uh, before I get into the episode, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the feedback from my uh, first show. So, uh, first of all, my handle, the one that gives the speech synthesis fits, I actually got that from uh, the title of a book. It's an old book. I think it came out in 1986. It's called Mirror Shades, a cyberpunk anthology, and it's edited by Bruce Sterling. Uh, I think you can still buy it on Amazon. It's, um, I was just feeling nostalgic. And, of course, if you're going to do uh, a cyberpunk handle, you have to do it in Leet. That's just how it is. Um, also, the tape recorder. Uh, that The reason why I use that is I just found it. I forgot I even owned the thing. Um, was cleaning out a closet, had a bunch of hardware in there, and uh, I found it, and there was a, a blank tape, actually a sealed, unused blank tape, and uh, so that's why I used it to record the first episode, and a uh, funny story, after I recorded that show, the the recorder quit working, it just died, an unspectacular death, and doesn't work anymore, oh well, so uh, Let's see, the last thing is um, my accent. I seem to have, uh, um, when I when I apologize for my accent, it's not because I'm ashamed of my accent or anything like that. i just uh, never sure how much uh, other people will be able to understand the words that I'm using. Um, my accent's actually not terribly thick. If um, What I'm going to tell you is a little bit anecdotal. So in Kentucky, it seems to be, the further west you go, the milder the accent is, and I grew up in central Kentucky, um, but most of my family is from eastern Kentucky, and eastern Kentucky is more of the Appalachian region, it's the mountain area, um, so accents there are much, much thicker, um, and sometimes they can really be hard to understand if you're not familiar with them, um, so my speech is a little weird it's a little bit of a mix which i guess is normal if you're from central kentucky uh it's not as thick as an eastern kentucky accent but i I usually understand what those people are saying pretty well but i've heard accents kentucky accents or i guess appalachian accents that are 
so thick that you know many people have trouble understanding what they're saying uh and and you know that's okay it's just it's regional um some people mistake uh my accent for a southern drawl and it's not um a southern drawl is what you'll hear if you listen to someone who's from like uh georgia or someplace um most of the people who settled in the Appalachian region are of Irish, Scottish, German, and some Scandinavian descent. So the the accent here is is pretty much unique to Appalachia. Um, and also, uh, before I get into the episode, I uh, just wanted to to share. I got something really cool here. Um, my grandfather, my my father's father, uh, was born raised lived and died in eastern kentucky i have a recording of him and uh i'm gonna play just a snippet of it for you and so you can hear and a little bit more of an authentic eastern kentucky accent um it's uh it's kind of cool i'll go ahead and play that now and then uh it's not very long the the whole recording i have is about mm, about an hour and a half i'm just going to play a little uh, just a couple of minutes. Um, the audio quality on this is extremely rough. Uh, it was recorded in the early 90s, and he was, jeez, I think he was in his 70s. So um, just uh, just going to play that just as an aside uh, so you can hear that, and then uh, we'll get into the uh, the episode itself. Sure did have a hard time in that old holler trying to make a living. They had to raise everything to eat back then. Buy that out of the store. Couldn't get a hold of my money to buy it with. Get a hold of a nickel. Look as big as a wagon wheel. Get a hold of one of them dollar bills that looked like a bed plate. Had to raise corn and potatoes and everything. Upon them steep hillsides. That's hard to stand up on them at all. We had no hard time. First two or three years to live in that old holler. Finally, we run, learned a few shortcuts. Kept us out a whole lot. We'd get ready to plate our corn. In the spring, we had no tough barrel shotgun. We'd load both barrels of it. And we'd fill them barrels up with corn. We'd pull that old gun off and give them barrels of fork around that hillside. Shoot that corn up there. That helped us out a whole lot. And we learned how to plate our tater so we wouldn't have to dig them. We laid the rows off up down the hill. That fall when he got ready to dig the taters, but it's stuff open up the lower side of the row. Hold his sack open. Them taters pour out in his sack. Laid all that tater dig. Well, it's a great big job. It would, that'll go far places over the wintertime. It's about like Florida, it's all wet water. One thing about it, though, you didn't have to worry about getting the wood to the half. Just go far on the hillside and cut it, it roll right down to the half. It worked out pretty good that way. There wasn't but 
two families lived out of Wallace. That's an old man that his wife lived in that boat. And I smiled. I started down the holler one day. That old man is standing down on the road. He used to take all in his hand. He just stomping and the casting and raising all kinds of sand. I said, what in the world's the matter with you? He said, I said, this makes the third time I fell out of that confounded cornfield today. I said, well, that's too bad. He said, it ain't half as bad falling out as just climbing that steep hill tonight, trying to get back up in that cornfield. Well, you need to do something about that. Well, what in the world am I going to do? Well, you could get your big long rope and tie around your waist. Now, the other end of the tree up there, something. He says, I hadn't thought about that. Said, I think I'll try that. We must have tried it. Never did hear them more out there. I'm glad that poor fella out. He's getting old. I guess he was having a hard time. Get that corn tail and crawling out of that field. I have to climb back up there one more time today. Okay, so that was uh, that was my grandfather. Um, the 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 sound quality on that's pretty rough. I'm sorry. Um, he he recorded that on an old tape recorder with no mic, uh, on a very cheap cassette outside. So um, it's uh, it is what it is. It's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, so what I'm going to do, uh, this episode, I'm going to talk about homebrew, but I'm not talking about applications, I'm talking about beer, and I know a lot of people, uh, think about doing homebrew from time to time, especially if you're, you know, a beer lover, uh, it's going to cross your mind at some point, um, and there's a lot of information out there on on home brewing and there's a lot of um, a lot of equipment out there for it and the, I think the biggest hurdle most people have when they they think about uh, home brewing their own beer is you see all this equipment it's very expensive and a lot of people if they decide to test the waters they wind up buying a uh, one of these inexpensive little like Mr. Beer type kits or they get one for Christmas and uh, so if you look online some of the opinions of the of the Mr. Beer kits aren't you know they're all over the place some people say they're fine some people say they're horrible uh, what I wanted to do is uh, just to share some tips to get the most out of one of these inexpensive entry-level kits um, because it is a good way to find out if it's something you want to do or not if it's something you want to invest in you know better equipment or you know better ingredients and stuff and actually get into or you know if you just want to continue using the the mr. beer kits extremely easy to use um, but you know you're not going to get the full homebrew experience with it but it will it, it's good for us for beginner it's a good way to, to kind of learn 
how to go through the motions, but there's a few things that um, I've noticed that when people get bad results out of it, it's usually, um, usually it's one of three things that they have, they've, well actually I guess four things that they have, uh, they've overlooked. And the, um, so I want to, I want to go over those real quick. So you, if, if you're in that boat and you've decided to, to try it out, maybe you'll get a little bit better results, uh, save you the trouble and frustration of having to do all this research on your own like I did. So, uh, the first thing is, um, if you, with the kit or even the, the refills, they will come with a little pack of, I think it's called no rinse sanitizer and you will want to use that you will want to use that on anything that's going to touch your beer uh, the the pot that you're gonna uh, cook the wort in uh, any spoons spatulas uh, inside the fermenter the bottles anything that's going to come in contact with your beer you're gonna want to make sure you use that no rinse sanitizer on um, that's very important because uh, if, if foreign particles get in there, it's not going to it's not going to poison your beer, but it's going to most likely make it skunky. If you've never had skunky beer, uh, count your blessings. It, there's a reason why they say it's it's skunky beer. It, it really it's not a pleasant aroma. Um, so use the sanitizer. You know, be meticulous. Sanitize everything. Um, the second thing is water. Um, I forget what it is, something like 85% of, of beer is water. Uh, the, the better water, the, the better quality water that you use is going to render uh, a higher quality product in the end. So don't just fill it up with that nasty stuff that comes out of your tap. I, if you guys overseas, probably you, you may not have this problem. Uh, here in the U.S., our tap water is nasty, and just don't use tap water. If you have access to a natural spring that has, you know, good water or a natural source of, of good fresh water that, that works really well, if not, and you have to go out and, and buy water, buy spring water, don't buy distilled water. Um, spring water is probably your best bet uh, if you have a favorite brand of spring water or something, or if you have one of those... Um, those pitchers with the filter in it um, you know you can filter your tap water and it'll work okay I, I've seen some people do that um, just make sure you use you know good quality water I think a lot of people who wind up with really nasty beer wind up using just water out of the tap they think that's good enough it'll be fine and it's not um, the third thing is temperature um, so the, the beer will ferment at uh, and you know, this is bad. I don't remember what the optimal temperature is. There's a range. It's fine. It, the, whatever they say in the instructions is fine. But just you, you want to make sure that you know you don't store the fermenter when you're letting the wort ferment uh, in some place. It's really hot or really cold, or the temperature goes up and down on a lot. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It needs to be a fairly stable temperature, and. Um, and you should be fine. 
Uh, and the last thing is, is patience. Um, one of the things that the instructions in, in these cheap kits, uh, particularly the Mr. Beer kit, I know says this, uh, they, they say you can ferment in the fermenter for a week and then condition in the bottle for a week and then you can drink your beer and I'm here to tell you that is complete fiction um, don't do it it's you're not going to be pleased with what you wind up with um, let it sit in the fermenter for two weeks uh, if it sits in there for three it's not going to hurt it um, I've let some go over I've let a couple batches go over to to three weeks um, and then when you bottle it you're gonna wanna let the let it set in the bottles it, this this process is called conditioning you let it set in the, the bottles for I, I would let it set for a couple of weeks and uh, then you can stick them in the fridge and get them cold and drink them um, because that that extra time is just trust me just do it don't don't do the two-week thing that's gonna you're gonna wind up with something nasty some swill that you don't want uh, that's another place where that's very common for people to uh, go wrong their first time trying to homebrew um, I don't even know why they put that in the instructions that's just crazy uh, so uh, uh, those are really the four big ones uh, sanitize good water uh, stable temperature and and give it enough time to work its magic uh, there's a few other little tips um, just on the tail end of this I want to talk about one is uh, yeast uh, so if you if you buy one of these inexpensive kits or you buy a refill for it it's gonna come with a little pack of yeast and that yeast uh, I, I've seen homebrewers on forums and stuff talk about how horrible it is and that you're better off um, investing a couple extra dollars and getting some premium yeast uh, that it it enhances the flavor profile and all this stuff uh, I've never had bad luck with the yeast that comes with the kits so I, I don't know uh, if you want to experiment with that you, by all means go ahead uh, I've never really had an issue with the, the yeast it comes with uh, I think the big thing is, like I said, giving it enough time to, to work its magic and making sure the temperature is stable. Um, they also sell uh, a little thing. It's called yeast nutrient, and you can buy like a pound bag of it. It's pretty cheap. I forget how much it is. You can get it either from Homebrew Supplier or they sell it on Amazon. Um, and you can add some of that uh, at the beginning of the fermentation process, and it, it helps to keep the yeast healthy and um doing its thing um, I, I did try some of it it seemed to it worked okay I don't know I, I don't know what to tell you if it, if it actually did anything um, amazing or not um, but you can do that too if you want um, I also want to talk about a few differences in uh, beer that you buy in the store versus beer that you brew yourself at home so um, there's a few processes that beer undergoes when you buy it in the store that you actually will not be doing or you will be doing differently in a homebrew situation so when you buy beer in the store it's usually it has been filtered and it has been pasteurized and you're probably not going to do that in a homebrew situation it's okay it's not going to hurt you 
Um, we've been making beer without filtering or pasteurizing it for several thousand years now. Um, the uh, I actually, to be honest, like it better when it's not filtered or pasteurized. It it it's it's definitely different. Um, you'll be able to taste the difference when you when you drink your own beer that you've made the first time. I can't, I don't know. It, it, it is better than the stuff in the store, I think. Um, that's an opinion of mine. You know, your, your mileage may vary. Um, the other thing is, is carbonation. So when you buy beer in the store, it's forced carbonated by injecting CO2 in it. Um, the same way they do soda or any other carbonated beverage. Um, and then it's kept in pressurized containers until it's consumed. Um, with homebrew, uh, you can actually buy the equipment to do that. Um, there's really not much of a reason to. Most homebrewers, what they do and what you'll be doing if you're just you know getting started and just trying this out is when you go to bottle it, you're going to put some sugar in each of the bottles before you uh, drain the fermenter into the bottles and that sugar is called priming sugar and what it does is it reactivates the yeast inside the beer and it, not a lot just a little and it will create a little more alcohol not a significant amount but what it also does is creates it releases co2 and it does this naturally so this is called natural carbonation and it it's a different i guess body is the word i'm looking for it it it's going to be differently bodied than beer you buy in the store and the carbonation natural carbonation is a little bit different I've noticed uh, when you pour it if you pour it into a mug or something um, it's going to get a really big foam head on it but it'll dissipate quicker than what you get in the you know in store bought beer um, and I think that's about it if you're uh, if you're on the fence it's you know, homebrew is pretty fun. It's it's legal to do in the states. That's another thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but people seem to think this is illegal. Uh, you can legally brew. I think it's 200 gallons per calendar year for personal use. Now you can't sell it. You have to have a liquor license to sell. You can give it to your family and friends. Uh, I usually just drink mine. Um, but there you go. If you if you've ever thought about it, if you ever wondered, it's not terribly hard uh, and I think the kits are pretty inexpensive now if you want to give it a shot I would recommend going ahead doing it and if you have any uh, questions um, about it you know you can uh, leave a comment or shoot me an email or something uh, I will do my best to answer questions on that front and uh, that's about it for me today thanks for listening and have enjoy your beer You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. 
If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.